0: In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. Spoiler alert, I'm not going to talk today about the coronavirus. I'm preaching especially to those who are unable to come to church today. And even if you are able to come to confession today and receive sacramental communion, after that you should be spending the day at home with your family. And if you have no family to spend your day with, rejoice all the same. For you have the Lord, who wishes to accompany all of us today as we find ourselves far from our Father's house. Today is a time of examination of conscience for all of us, priests and people, and how we have kept the Lord's day. It is easy to forget that the third commandment is a positive commandment, that is to say, it does not tell us simply what we must not do on Sunday, thou shalt do no labor, but what we must do, keep holy the Lord's day. How often have we contented ourselves with shooting in and out of Mass as quickly as possible? What was our hurry? What else did we have in mind for this day? I know you're using the Internet to listen to this sermon today, and perhaps to watch the live streaming of a Mass, but leave it at that. No news, no blogs, no television, no mindless video clips, pray the family rosary, read the New Testament, or the writings or lives of the saints, sit down for a proper meal with your family, and play a game together. The main reason why I wanted to avoid talking about said virus today is because I want to make sure we stay on track with our Lenten program. I hope we haven't forgotten about that especially because this Laetare Sunday presents to us perhaps the key to this whole interpretation of the days of Lent, which we have been following this year, the senses of Scripture. For today, St. Paul uses a word we have been employing in a lot of our sermons as the key to the argument that runs throughout the epistle to the Galatians. Today's epistle begins, It is written that Abraham had two sons, the one by a bondwoman and the other by a free woman. But he who was of the bondwoman was born according to the flesh, he of the free woman by promise. Which things are said by an allegory, At the start of our Lenten pilgrimage which seems awfully far away now I explained to you that we have always to look at the literal sense of the scriptures and the spiritual sense. It is always the literal sense that is exposed first. The scriptures are not a secret code. St. Thomas insists that There is nothing contained in the spiritual sense of scripture which we could not find out from it being taught in the literal sense elsewhere in the scriptures. It reinforces them in a very powerful way. But we do find, according to the teaching of all the fathers, a literal sense and then a spiritual sense, which is divided into three. Allegory, moral, and anagogy. So the allegorical sense, the moral sense in the enagogical sense. And for those of you who were able to come to most of the daily masses when we started Lent, I explained to you that you could ask some simple questions if you wanted to consider the spiritual sense of Scripture each day that you came. Each day you could ask the questions for allegory, you simply ask where today do I find the Church? For the moral sense, where do I find my own soul? For the anagogical sense, where today do I find eternity? The argument that St. Paul employs today against the Judaizers of his time those who were telling the Galatians that in order to be saved they still had to submit to the full law of Moses. He speaks of the two testaments saying that they are represented by Sarah and Hagar. His argument though is truly astounding in that He teaches us, as an inspired author, that Sarah and Hagar are an allegory for what is to come. So that although Hagar is the bondwoman, as told in the book of Genesis, and Sarah the free, they speak to a higher truth of the New Testament. So that in fact, it is the Jewish religion, which is the bondwoman. And the Christian religion, that Jerusalem which is above, says St. Paul, which is free, which is, he says, our mother. This then is where we find the church today. It is very noteworthy as well, before we enter now into Passion Tide, that we find in this account, the name of Isaac pronounced. Starting with Septuagesima Sunday in the night office of the church, we read from the Old Testament, starting with the book of Genesis, first of Adam, then of Noah, and then of Abraham. But before we began Lent, the church passed over, almost in complete silence, the story of Isaac. Even now it is only a passing reference to him. We shall not hear of him in full until the prophecies of the Easter Vigil. when that whole passage of scripture which we passed over will at long last be read. This is because the church sees Isaac especially as a type of Christ. Prefiguring Christ so closely that He could not be mentioned so early on. The prophecy there has to be reserved for the Easter Vigil, right before the resurrection. Christ then is the new Isaac, who is about to fulfill all of the beautiful details we read in the book of Genesis of the sacrifice of Isaac on Mount Moriah, from his carrying the wood, being laid upon the altar, upon the wood, and being replaced in his sacrifice by the ram, crowned with a thicket of thorns. It is this new Isaac whom we encounter today, not in the temple, but in the field. Today's gospel is extraordinary in that It is the only public miracle of our Lord which is told by all three gospels. Matthew, Mark, and Luke speak very often of the same miracles, but then in those cases, John does not. In the case of the feeding of the five thousand, however, all four gospels recount this miracle. The most sublime account of it is the one we hear today, told by St. John, for though we find beautiful details in the other Gospels, St. John's is the most important because of where he places it. St. John's Gospel is a theological gospel, and not numbered among the three synoptic Gospels. That is, he takes things such as the miracles of our Lord and places them in certain points in his Gospel in order to emphasize a point which is what he does today, because he places this miracle immediately before our Savior's discourse on the bread of life, the promise of the Holy Eucharist. He adds that the crowd today is following Jesus because they saw the signs he did on those who were diseased. St. Mark adds that our Lord had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And his disciples protest, this is a lonely place and the hour is late. Send them away. But their master responds, you give them something to eat. It is the new Isaac who is finally to feed us with the bread that shall give us life forever. It is during this week on this Sunday that we hear of Moses and the account of the Exodus and afterwards then the wandering in the desert for 40 years and being fed by manna our Lord who is the new Isaac is also the new Moses he now brings to conclusion the law of the Old Testament which was only a law of bondage it was a law that could give only knowledge of sin Now the law of freedom has come, the law of firstborn, for our Lord, like Isaac, is the firstborn, with all the rights of firstborn. It is he who is now to institute the true sacrifice, for this is what was foretold at the time of Isaac, when Isaac himself asked his father, where is the sacrifice? To which Abraham responded, our Lord himself shall provide a sacrifice. It is this sacrifice, the body and blood of Jesus Christ, which he tells us is my flesh for the life of the world. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen.